time itself is seemingly something completely different. And I don't know if we can really say it's vibration or frequency, but all, all moments, past, present, and future, at least in the block universe model, do exist. Imagine just for a moment that a world where the boundaries of time and space are not as rigid as we once thought. We blur the lines between the past, the present, and the future. Are you interested? You should be. We're not just skimming the surface of extraterrestrial theories. No, we're flipping the script entirely with a hypothesis that's as fascinating as it is scientifically profound. Our guest is a man of science, a thinker, a trailblazer, Dr. Michael P. Masters, a professor of biological anthropology. He's bringing a whole new perspective to the UFO phenomena in his book, Identified Flying Objects. He's not talking about little green men from Mars. No, he's talking about us, humans from the future, time travel, evolutionary biology, and those mysterious objects in the sky. It's all connected in his groundbreaking theory. Are you ready to have your mind blown to look at the night sky, not just with wonder, but with a whole new understanding? Stay tuned because we're about to dive deep with Dr. Michael P. Masters. It's time to challenge our understanding of UFOs, human evolution, and the vast untapped potential of our future. Dr. Masters, I'm curious, what kind of crazy changes do you think that we will see down the line that UFOs may may already be showing us? Oh, yeah, that's a that's a loaded question. <laughs> I think there's definitely some indications of a lot of evolutionary change. Uh if if these beings seen in association with the craft are in fact us, then it would seem to indicate that we're likely heading toward a pretty marked shift, um, a continuation, but still a shift in our, our morphological form and certainly our technology. If we develop to the point that we have these crafts that can travel at tens of thousands of miles an hour and uh, seemingly manipulate space-time, which is a technology that I feel we're, we're close to being on the cusp of, but uh, aren't quite there. But I mean, the problem is it's hard to know what will be the catalyst behind that, what'll drive us in this direction. And and honestly, in, in my first book, I took a very cautious approach and really just looked at dominant trends throughout our evolutionary past and how if those continue into the future, and many of these uh, characterize six to eight million years of hominin evolution, if those continue into the future, we're likely to possess these same characteristics in what might not be that distant of a future. I don't think we have to wait another six to eight million years because it's been an accelerating curve. Uh, could be 50, 60, 70,000 years before we possess these, these quintessential gray alien characteristics. But it's hard to know exactly what might happen between now and then. And then you also have the X factor of genetic manipulation. And it's hard to say what that could do to our morphology and our, our cognitive abilities as well. That, that's fascinating. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, the book's been out for a while now, and UFOs have really taken a new part in the conversation over the last year. Can you sort of tie together your hypothesis and what we're being fed in the mainstream media with these crafts that have, we have seen in the leaked footage? How can we tie that together? Yeah, it's a great question, and we're definitely, I think, being led down a path, it would seem that we've shifted from this narrative of UFOs aren't real, 
people that see them or talk about them or are drunk or high or uh, schizophrenic or whatever. And we're moving to a place where the powers that be are starting to acknowledge this. Clearly, there's still yeah. gatekeepers that don't want the technology out there because they lose a lot of profit. As a result of that, there's people who have kept secrets and, and done things, according to David Grush's testimony, that we would consider illegal, highly unethical. So it seems like it's, it's shifted where the government was involved, these governmental programs, the alphabet agencies, to keep us from talking about it, to now where we're allowed to talk about it, supposed to talk about it, we're supposed to be asking questions, and it's a smaller fraction of that original group that's still trying to, to keep us at bay, to still keep this conversation out of the public sphere, but, but that's clearly changing. And I can't help but wonder if it's the, these visitors themselves, the occupants of these UFOs that might be, that might be doing this. But to your question, um, really, I, I started from a point of recognizing a hominin form in these, these beings. They're ubiquitously described as being human-like, humanoid, um, having four limbs, what, what I oftentimes mention as being a characteristic of tetrapods that goes back 400 million years on this planet, pentadactyly, five digits on each one, they have bilateral symmetry, two gut openings, two eyes, nose, mouth in the same location, and importantly, they're, they're upright walking, they're bipedal, and that's the trait that defines the hominin lineage. Um, and, and, you know, you can go on the same types of uh, skin, hair in many cases. They can breathe our air. They're really interested in our gametes and occasionally have sex with us, which indicates the requisite parts for, for having sex, obviously. So there's just so many things that seem to tie them to us. And, and if we look at their technology and the physiological traits that are most often described in association with these cases of close contact, they're, they're not just like us, but seemingly are us and at a point that's just a little more advanced with regard to their technology. And, and like I said earlier, what we'd expect to see in the morphological form of these, these individuals. And the two main trends throughout the last six to eight million years of hominin evolution has been an increase in brain size, what we refer to as encephalization, and especially a forward movement and mediolateral expansion of the brain which has occurred in association with a reduced and retracted mid and lower face. So our, our brains are getting bigger moving forward and expanding while our faces are getting smaller and moving back. And anyone with small children knows just how many teeth we have to take out, have to mediolaterally expand the palate in order to accommodate these teeth. And it's, it's something that's been happening. We've, we've lost our, our masticatory musculature, mm. the, the big chewing apparatus. Our teeth have gotten smaller. We've gotten fewer teeth throughout primate evolution. And now we have to force them out because this, this trade-off between the brain and the face is sort of outpaced what our face can get out of the way of this runaway brain. So there's, there's a lot of things if we look at the morphology, if we look at the technology, and I think if we look at this disclosure process that's happening, it almost seems like we're nearing a point, sort of technological, cultural singularity, where once we're aware of who they are and what they're doing, and if they are us... From that point on, our knowledge of time travel in itself allows us access to all knowledge and information in the future. So there's almost this point where if we get there, everything about the entirety of human evolution, past, present, and future opens up to us, and that could be a really wonderful change. 
you know, you talk about, I had several questions pop up in the middle of that, and I want to try to remember them because they're good. And um, you talk about time travel. Would it be safe to assume or to, to go along the thought pattern of time is an illusion and that all of these things are happening at the same time? They're just like different frequencies. Is, is that, does that play into your hypothesis? Yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard Tom DeLong say that previously, and and it, it does seem like well, certainly the first part is true. I, I think everyone would agree that the way we understand time is not accurate currently. Um, we perceive it in a specific way. We have to, as biological organisms, you have to be able to know the trajectory of a, a predator running at you, or how you would throw a spear to be a predator, and. and uh, kill a gazelle or an antelope or something. So we have to see linear time and understand velocities and how we move in relation to those to, to find mates, to avoid predation, to get food. But time itself is seemingly something completely different. And I don't know if we can really say it's vibration or frequency, but all, all moments, past, present, and future, at least in the block universe model, do exist. Simultaneously almost implies or takes another time term to try to explain this thing. So, so yeah, I mean, they're clearly not separated in the way that we conceptualize them in these fleshy bodies with these brains that have evolved to understand uh, movement and memories that we draw from to create predictive models for the future, short term and long term. Um, but yeah, in a technological sense, as far as moving through it, it may be as simple as a grasshopper jumping across a, a piece of paper with all these different moments in space-time to take one dimension out and boil it down to uh, landscape time, which is a, a, a another term for block time, the block universe. So it, it might not be the way we think of it, where we're we're altering the past, we're not changing anything in the past. We're just going back and doing the same things we we have always done. And, and from our relative position, the way our brains perceive our position in the future before we go back, any change has already manifested before you go back to do it. There's this inherent self-consistency, according to the Igor Novikov self-consistency principle, where you're never changing the past. You're just interacting with all of these different moments that are inherently connected across the block universe. You were talking about the the um, evolution of our species over time and how you were kind of making parallels to what we're seeing in UFOs. And you, and you mentioned one thing, teeth and, and mastication. And a, a lot of what I focus on in my interviews and content is diet and nutrition, mm -hmm. those sorts of things. I'm curious, and you didn't mention this in your book from what I could tell, have you given any thought about what we may be eating in the future or what UFOs may, may be eating in terms of what their primary fuel source is or macronutrient composition or substrate in general? Buckwheat pancakes. <laughs> You're going to cause a run on buckwheat pancakes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, bye, 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 bye. Um, no, I think it's it, that that actually has come up quite a few times. And okay. when people do interact with, and, and so I think it's important to clarify that when we talk about humans from the future, I, I get the sense that it's humans from a number of different periods in the future. Right. And yeah, it's gotten... Um, We've we've outs we've outsourced mastication to our tools and fire, and we can see that that shift between our brains and faces really took off with the advent of 
not not as much stone tools about 2.5 to 3 million years ago, but with fire about 1.8 million years ago with Homo erectus, especially in East Africa and southern parts of, of the continent. So what that did is it allowed us to start processing our food using these stone tools and then also to cook it, which starts the digestion process, breaks down the proteins and makes it easier to chew that meat. And so that in itself relaxed selective pressures to keep the big teeth. And really after Homo erectus, we do start to see teeth getting a good bit smaller, the mandible and maxilla continuing to retract. And if that does continue and our brains continue to grow out over the face, our faces get smaller, it may impinge upon our ability to consume food in the way that we do right now. So it could come down to eating soft, nutrient-rich things like buckwheat pancakes. And and so the fact that that's been described so often in various cases, there's been people, I, I talk about one in my second book, The Extra Tempestro Model, uh, this miner here in Montana named Lou Wartana, and he was given a tour of the ship, as a lot of people are when they're not freaked out about getting inly probed and things like that. And he was shown bathrooms, a, a kitchen, just like ours with cooking utensils and pots and pans and things. So Clearly, they're still eating food at whatever time these individuals came back from. And based on how they looked exactly like a, a person now, a modern human, and they spoke with vocalized speech, it indicates that they were from a point in a not-too-distant future. But once we get to the point, if, if these greys are us in a very distant point in the future, uh, they, they have trouble talking. They use telepathy instead, and that could be an aspect of the reduction and retraction of our facial anatomy as well, where we just can't vocalize speech in the same way. So we shift to uh, telepathic speech, which is very commonly described with these grays. They can convey images and whole thoughts as opposed to just using spoken word. And that could be related to that as well. So, um, you know, there's always this stereotype of people in the future just eating a pill, like they get all their nutrients from a pill. And that's certainly on the table. I haven't seen any case studies that describe that. But if you go from what we have now with big ribeye steaks to buckwheat pancakes, it kind of seems like you could extrapolate to just a, a highly condensed nutrient-rich pill at some point. It's very interesting. When we talk about disclosure, I don't have the, the, the names of the, the senators in front of me, but there, there are a list of senators that are actively <laughs> trying to block disclosure. And then there are several yeah. that are trying to advocate for and I just saw a video just from the other day, a press conference, and they're still framing everything as these craft are coming from outside the solar system. That's the information that our senators are receiving. To some extent, yeah, that that was that somewhat changed during the Grush fravor. What is your take around? on 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 David Grush's um, being allowed to come forward and and um, does some of what he says fit into your hypothesis? Yeah, it does. I mean, I get the sense that, you know, obviously nobody knows, and I certainly don't claim to know. I'm just working <laughs> from what limited evidence is available. But, you know, if you do go back through the historic and prehistoric record, there are a lot of indications that these same individuals have been seen and documented throughout human antiquity and mm -hmm. clearly into prehistory as well, which does again indicate that they can jump back through time and it's just our inability to grasp who they are and what they're doing. We put their you know, faces on walls, we make petroglyphs and geoglyphs, but now we can start to talk about electromagnetism and anti-gravity 
and the physiological form and begin to understand maybe who they are, what they're doing, what Crush is mostly talking about, and and same with David Fravor and Ryan Graves and others, um, uh, is is the the mechanics of it, the the nuts and bolts type stuff. This is what we observed. This is um, it's it's not really a theoretical deep dive into who they might be or why they're here, and and that's where I think the extraterrestrial thing still gets brought in because that's been our default for centuries. You know, we, we thought they lived on Venus and then we found out you can't live on Venus and we thought they lived on Mars. Oh, there's no atmosphere. Can't live on Mars. They must be coming from Alpha Centauri. And and we do know that there's a ton of exoplanets uh, out there, even within reach of Earth. But the likelihood that we'd have a being evolve in the same way and at the same time to look like us, act like us, eat like us, have sex like us, all those things I mentioned earlier is, is very, very slim. So, so yeah, I think we kind of still default to extraterrestrial, but Grush's testimony sort of flipped that. And, and a lot of things he said in his interview with Ross Colthart, the separate doco with Jesse yeah. Michaels, is they're, they're not extraterrestrial. He, he gets that sense. A lot of people now are starting to be like, but even Jacques Vallée back in the 60s and 70s, Jalen Hynek as well, were like, that, that, the extraterrestrial model just doesn't seem to fit the data. And, and so there, there's been a, it's sort of this, this give, take back and forth. And I felt this a lot when I came into the space in around 2018, that people just get mad. They're like, no, they're aliens. They're from a different planet. I don't want them to be us. I don't, it's not fun if they're just us from the future. I'm like, that's way more fun. We get to know about everything about us from these future times, technologies, and just what society is going to be like. But I felt a lot of backlash from that community. And I feel like they're definitely still there, but more people are open to the question that they could be something else and not necessarily just future humans. There's a lot of other things they could be. Um, but I do feel like that's shifting in the conversation with people in Congress, uh, the people that are getting closed door skiff type information mm. are probably more aware than people that are just getting into this or that are trying to protect the secrets. And obviously some of these uh, these Congress people are uh, Mike something, I forget his name, but the right Pat representative in Eastern Ohio is clearly one of the more vocal ones and clearly has a reason to be since right Pat is sort of the epicenter of all of this and has been since the 1940s. So can't remember his name, but yeah, you're right. There's about four or five people that potentially derailed this thing that the Senate agreed to move forward with with bipartisan support you don't see that with anything else right now so it's really tragic that that we're just still doing the one step forward two steps back thing so some ufos may be us from the future what about other species of of aliens and i want to tie that to a recent events that are said to have been occurring in peru with those attacks i guess they would say on villagers in the area have you come across that I, I saw a few things about it, but I, I've got to plead ignorance on okay. the entire situation. I, okay. I haven't really looked into it enough to make an informed uh, comment. I understand. I understand. Um, so, last question. Thinking about humanity, humans from the future visiting us now, what sort of ethical, confusing mind game is that, and what does that bring up? Yeah, there's definitely a psychological component, um, no doubt about that. 
And I think that's a big part of what they're doing, honestly. I, I think it, if you look at what, what happened with uh, maybe even as far back as 1938 with H.G. Wells's book broadcast by Orson Welles and, and seeing the reaction, that might have been one of the initial beta tests of this. And then we have Roswell in 47, the Betty and Barney Hill case in the 60s. And there's been all of these little almost teasers or, or uh, psychocultural research operations. And it's kind of flipping the script. It's not so much how did we react, but how are they gauging our reaction to these things with the mindset that eventually we can know. And if they know the future, this is an interesting part about it, if they know the future, if they are from the future, then they already know how it's all going to play out. But there still has to be this introduction of the ideas. And I can't help but wonder if the balloons that were being shot down earlier this year and, and sort of the way that it was all confused in the media was another one of these things to say, are, are they paying attention or is it still all about the distraction the stars and the Kardashians or whatever else yeah. people are into? Because um, this is potentially one of the biggest questions of our time, potentially all of human history. If we have this convergence of humans from different times, that could be huge. E even if they're extraterrestrial, that's equally huge. But there's a huge segment of the population that's not paying attention at all. So you have to wonder, are these things being put out kind of as a litmus test? Or what my friend Darren King refers to as neuro-linguistic programming, where we're being given information to sort of try to level us up slowly so once we get all of the information it's not so shocking at least to the people that have been paying attention yeah i mean information when we're consuming it i mean in, in a way we're downloading that into our into our minds and our collective everything we put on on the internet and so yeah it's very interesting to to be at this point in time and watch this unfolding you know in our culture you know globally uh, Dr. Masters, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. Thank you for the opportunity. And um, maybe we'll chat again sometime. Absolutely, James. Appreciate you having me on. And, and yeah, it was a pleasure talking to you as well. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Bye-bye.